What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is educator, entrepreneur, poet, and filmmaker, Hadari Davis. He is also the co-director with his wife, who we had on not too long ago, Candace Wicks Davis, of the Youth Spoken Word Ensemble, Young, Gifted, and Black. Hadari, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to be on the show. I love this show. I love you. And uh, (laughs) I love that uh, with this show, I get to talk to some of my favorite humans. And you are definitely in that category. Uh, Brother Hadari, I want to start with a little bit about you uh, on the personal tip and uh, specifically like where and how you grew up. What was your family like? And uh, when did you discover the realm of the arts? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I was thinking about that today because I thought... Kat's going to ask me some question about how I came into this. So, uh, you know, as a kid, I performed a lot. I was on stage a lot. I I recited poetry a lot. Um, My mother uh, and some teachers invented a program called Young, Gifted, and Black. And even before that happened, I just was always on stage um, uh, reciting speeches by Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X or poetry by Nikki Giovanni or Mari Evans or so many others, so many others. So uh, that was my childhood. The arts were never something that was separate from my childhood. Um, And that's kind of the poetic side. Uh, My brother is a great visual artist. My older brother is an incredibly talented visual artist who's created a lot of amazing work. As a kid, it was very intimidating because he could just draw really well. Anything he touched, he could turn into some great piece of visual art. And I think that also was uh, moved me towards more performative arts and uh, just exploring my voice. Um, I always remember writing poetry. I never remember a time that I didn't write poetry. Even when I was six and seven years old, I used to write poetry. So that, to me, was always something that was center in my arts identity. And then I grew up in New York. I grew up in upstate New York, uh, about four hours outside of New York City. Uh, my grandfather lived in Brooklyn, so we you know, used to visit as a kid a lot. So when hip hop was emerging in New York City, I was, I was listening to it. I was there. I, I listened to Red Alert shows and Melly Mel shows. I remember world premieres of some of the great songs and albums that we call classic hip hop albums now. So as a kid, that was also kind of always in the background from, I guess, the time I was nine until I, until today, you know, it's always been uh, the heartbeat um, of my childhood, the soundtrack of my childhood. So yeah, those, all of those things are kind of um, formative in my identity as an artist uh, definitely informed the artist that I've become today, um, you know, through the path of education and all the other work that I've done. You mentioned your parents and folks that listen to the show know that I got a thing for black mamas and black grannies. And I have had the undeniable privilege and honor of knowing your mama. 
Um, mm. Wish you would uh, just take a few minutes and talk about the powerhouse that's Mama Davis and how her amazingness shaped you into your amazingness because uh, she is a force to be reckoned with for sure. Yeah, so I, I grew up a mama's boy. A lot of a lot of the homies wouldn't really know that, but I grew I grew up a mama's boy. <clears throat> Spent a lot of time with my mom. Um. You know, as a, as a kid, I, I was in my mom's class. She was my second, third, and fourth grade teacher. She was my kindergarten uh, teacher or pre, pre-kindergarten teacher as well. Um, yeah, my mom has always been a super force. So she made sure that my tongue was refined. <laughs> she made sure that I knew how to speak. She accessed me to a lot of classical arts and, and classical music because she majored in music in college. Um, my grandmother went uh, was in, went to Juilliard. She uh, was a pianist. So my whole life, there were piano in my house, or organ in my grandmother's house. Um, they were always playing. My 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 grandmother was an exceptional piano player. Um, so my my mother uh, grew up on the campus of uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, and my grandmother was very close to Mary McCaw Bethune and, and Zora Neale Hurston and others. And so that connection never left our family. It's always been a deep part and rooted in our family. And it definitely um, informed my connection to Black history. Um, and then my father, like I can't, I can't talk about my mom without talking about my father. My father yeah. immigrated to the United States as a teenager, you know, he, he went to Vietnam. Uh, he returned. He, he, he founded the Black Student Union at Stanford University. He was um, a very uh, strong and powerful Black father, very like, uh, but also very sweet and, and, you know, also about opening up opportunities for us. So I always had a chance to be around art. You know, once we discovered that my brother was a gifted visual artist, we used to go to arts museums. You know, I've been to the ballet. I've been to see concerts and shows as a child because my it was just important to my father and my mother that we were exposed to our imagination and our creativity. So, yeah, both of them have just played a central role in and who I've become, uh, both as um, an artist and a professional, but also as a as a father and a husband, for sure. Well, actually, then let's jump to that because that was later. But um, and I did talk about this with your amazing wife. Y'all's relationship, like, is deaf on display as Black royalty. I mean, you drive down Broadway, um, and there's just an amazing picture of you and Candace but everything about y'all is political and artistic and I, I it's it's through watching you that I've actually come to understand black love is a revolutionary act but I'd love to hear you pontificate on that just a little bit mm. yeah I mean I think to me love is um, the love that I have for my wife you know we try to erase condition. You know, we try to embrace um, what we feel in our hearts for each other. It's very complex. It's very um, layered. And it has to do with our life histories and, and what we've experienced, what we've endured and who we've become and the lives that have 
you know, been lived in us, the lives that came before us. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very deep, but yeah, Candace and my relationship has really been, um, fueled in by our imagination and by our creativity about what we can do in the world, what we can create in the world. It's been, uh, an inspired love. Um, a lot of travel to distant places, a lot of meetings with new people, strangers who we've never known and making them close friends, um, engaging our social and cultural and political identities as one and not dividing them. Um, and that, you know, just became uh, our company. It became Edutainment for Equity. It's mostly embodied now in our, our company. And uh, that's, that's, that's the professional side of that love. So we maintain the intimate and personal side of that love as well. But it's expansive. It's very complex, Kat. That's a complex question. Um, and it also involves our children. I think, uh, you know, I have, I have six children. I have um, three children that I had in my first marriage with a, who are all adults. And I have uh, my my goddaughter, who is the child of my my first uh, wife, but not not my child, but my first wife. And then I have my two sons, who are with Candace, uh, who are just our babies. And you know, these six kids are also a big part of that radical love. It's part of that imaginary. the The future for us is very urgent and expansive, right? Uh, these kids who are 30 are going to be 60. My, my child who's 29 is going to be, uh, who turns 29 tomorrow, you know, has got uh, years ahead as an adult. And my two-year-old has years ahead as a child. And so the future for me is very, very urgent, right? And, and the way that we apply our art, it's a weaponization of that art to affirm the future that we want to see. So that's the radical part of that love is that it's a love with a purpose. It's not just a love that is um, emotional. You know, it's a love that's also spiritual. It's very deep, man. It's, that's a, just complex to me. Hadari, uh, you just spent you know time talking about your children. Um, I want to right now uh in the earshot of all the folks listening to the show, thank you for helping me raise my child. Hmm. And I know that there are literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of black uh, Bay area parents that would say the exact same thing. You know, earlier you were talking about the childhood that you grew up with, right? Mm -hmm. Black parents in the home who understand the, who understood and, and, and had the ability right, to um, prioritize education and the arts. Um, and you understand uh, deeply, right, that is not the story for a lot of our children. And from where I sit watching you, it seems like you've made it part of your life's mission to extend those things to the our children that need it the most. So if you could talk about 
being a community baba and how through programs like Young, Gifted, and Black and through mentoring and providing performance opportunities and speaking opportunities and all of the things that you bring our babies, you are contributing to the liberation, the self-determination of our people. Yeah, the babies. Um, it's a passion, but it's more a passion for the future than it is for the children themselves. Um, I know that the life that they have to live, we have to do our best to make the world better for them, but we also have to prepare them for what's not going to be better and expose them to the opportunities that we didn't have. And so I'm always very conscious of that. I'm not, um, I feel a responsibility for that. You know, my mom tells a story about when she was six years old, she was called into the office of Mary McLeod Bethune and she sat down uh, in front of this great, great woman. And the woman tells her, you need to make sure that you pay it forward. And my mom is six, you know, and she's like, you need to pay it forward. You know, you're growing up on this campus and every black child doesn't have this opportunity that you have in your job, your responsibility is to pay it forward, you know? And then I think about my grandmother, she used to always say, how are we doing? And she would be talking about black people every time, if no matter what I would tell her about. So yeah, I saw this new movie, it's called Star Wars. She'd be like, okay, how are we doing? You know, were, were we there? Were, were we there in that stars? And I'd be like, yeah, ma, yeah, pat a cake. You know, there was a Lando Calrissian was there. I guess we were there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, it's just always felt that measure of accountability to uh, to to share whatever opportunity I had, whatever knowledge I had. It's not mine. Like, it doesn't belong to me. So it's not going to I'm not taking it with me. So what can I what can I share? What can I pay forward to the future that makes it better for our people. I don't know. It's always been a preoccupation of mine since I was a child. Um, but I, 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 as I grow, grew older, I understood that that childhood was curated, that it wasn't just something that happened. It was like intentionally made a reality by my parents, right? Like with intention. So if they had that intention, and my father didn't immigrate to the United States, for anything other than my opportunity and, 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 a, and a greater purpose. And so I, what, what more could I do? Uh, it's, it's a responsibility to pay it forward to these, they, these children. They, they deserve more. These are much more. And not only do you give to the babies, you give to the community. Uh, we all, uh, Oaklanders, wait with anticipation and bated breath the amazing thing that is life is living. Talk about life is living, um, why y'all created it, um, what your hopes for it are, are, and how you see it as part of the liberatory practice that is Black radical organizing in the city of Oakland. Yeah, Life is Living tries to walk a balance. It's a, Life is Living is a public uh, festival. It's a hip hop festival um, organized in the community that's been happening for 15 years in Little Bobby Hutton Park. I'm one of the co-founders of the festival um, and, and you know, co-producers of the festival along with an amazing set of 
people over the years, not just the folks who organize it now, but you know, other co-founders are like Mark Bamuti Joseph and Shanaka Hodge. And I mean, there's just a deep list, Joan Osato. There's just a deep list of people who've made a lasting contribution to this kind of public experience. But, you know, I always, when I, I drive by uh, little Bobby Hutton Park every day with my kids in the backseat, and I point to the park and I say, yeah, we're going to have a party there in October that we do every year. Are you guys looking forward to the party? And my, baby, my my son, who's four now, is like, yeah, I can't wait to be in the park with my friends. Right. So that's what it is. It's a way for us to bring our friends out and then um, understand this blurred line between Black joy and Black suffering. And to me, that's that's the ultimate thing of the festival. It's like we are in the midst of an incredible opportunity reunion of sorts, seeing seeing people across various domains and communities that we otherwise may not see all the time. Um, that's the moment where we hug each other and we catch up with each other and we get a sense of what's coming and what happened and how was your summer and what's what's going on next next week, next month, you know, what's coming up for you? You know, that's our time when we get our our, our spirit of joy, we a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter, a lot of babies running around, but it's also a time to confront the suffering, the immense levels of suffering that happen in Oakland for Black people specifically, the immense levels of suffering, that it's not enough for us to celebrate uh, and, and just have joy, but we also have to confront the realities that we have children and families who are living in the streets, that we have people who are hungry, who don't have dental care, who don't have health care, who are plagued and, and hunted by police. And we have to be conscious of that and make our community conscious of that. And so life is living doubles both as a, a place of, of that kind of joy, the recognition of that joy and that love that we have for each other and that beauty of who we are and what we can create. But it's also this kind of magical place where we reconfigure ourselves to the realities of our, our city and our community, the need, the immense need, and, and, and commit ourselves to addressing those needs, you know, until the next year when we come together again and you know, affirm it all over again. That's that to me is what the Life is Living Festival is, and I'm it, it's humbling and also uh, rewarding to know that people in our community value it, um, that people in West Oakland and people in Oakland uh, far and wide, and especially Black people who are either in Oakland who have been uh, you know pushed out of Oakland that they value Life is Living. Uh, because it's 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 ours. It's it's our homecoming. It's it's our it's our little radical love space, and and that's that's where we're we're honored to make it happen every year. That's a great segue to my next question. Uh, at at last year's Life Is Living, there was a new exhibit that you are touring with um, that is engaging in this conversation around state terror. If you could talk a bit about that project. Um, yeah, so uh, Candace and I have uh, started a project called Exhibit A, Oakland. It's a, uh, as, as the cultural strategist for the Office of Race and Equity um, in Oakland, uh, Candace has been working on an album 
that takes uh, race and equity data from the city that essentially is 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 intensely anti-black outcomes across the board. You know, in every domain that's uh, negative, we're at the top, and everyone that's positive, black people are at the bottom. And so uh, she's creating sort of a sonic way to express that, to articulate that data in 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 a way, sonic way that people can understand, relate to, feel empathy with, et cetera. And so exhibit A, uh, we also we have a, a um, visual project, a visualization project, which really engages artists in our community to uh, create data visualizations in the way that W.E.B. Du Bois created data visualizations for the Paris exhibition in 1900 and really make it uh, illustrate and make it clear to the community, make the community be able to read the suffering that's going on, whether it's, uh, you know, 6,000 people homeless in Oakland um, and the percentage of those who are living in their cars or living in their RVs or who are out on the street, um, or whether it's percentages of the quality of the air in West Oakland or the quality of the water. Um, I mean, there's data about uh, segregation uh, in our city and the way that the communities and the infrastructure is laid out and, and where people live. Uh, there's data about uh, a 14-year difference between those the lifespan of those who live in the hills relative to those who live in the flats. Um, all of this data is readily available for anyone who has maybe taken a statistics class or you know graduated from high school level mathematics to read and understand. <laughs> and our goal is to take it away from that obscurity and make it so that our children can understand that their futures are bound in this data and that if we as a community and as a city are gonna see uh, a future of different outcomes, then we have to know the outcomes that the systems are producing today. And, and I can assure you that uh, the data sets that we're looking at and that we're translating and working on through the Exhibit A project uh, illustrate an immense system of institutionalized anti-Blackness that extends uh, far beyond just the criminal justice system. But we can look at health, we can mental health, we can look at physical health, uh, we can look at uh, education, uh, we can look at housing, uh, we can look at just about any policy and we can relate it directly to immense black suffering. And we have to make it stop, but we have to make it visible so that we can we can stop it. Hadari, I'm wondering at this point in our conversation, if you would be willing to share some of your brilliant words with the folks. Wow, Kat. See what you're doing. I see what you're doing over here. Well, I you say you listen to the doing. show, so you had to know this was coming. I knew it was coming. Okay, so um, what I'm going to do is a part of a libation that um, I recently uh, shared at the Spring Symposium, the Kingmakers of Oakland Spring Symposium, with a community of educators. Um, I, I I'm often asked to perform libations. Uh, because when you grow up, like I grew up, you kind of get trained on how to do that. And so, but I'm, I'm always uncomfortable doing it off the cuff, like freestyle. Um, and so I actually wrote a piece that's, that's a libation and I'll, I'll deliver some of it. 
Um, not all of it because it's pretty long. Um, but this is this is for our ancestors. For those who strived before and before our Holocaust, founders, creators, innovators, whose genius marveled what we now call the world, our mother, our beginning, originator of all things, humanity, civilization, culture, the good and the bad, and our resistance to it, and our celebration of it, our ritual, our ceremony, our dance at hand and feet and sound and light and color and utterance and love, our past and our memory of it, what we remember and what we have long forgotten, those names we no longer carry, those burdens, those debts, those traumas locked within those who made them and us and who we have become in honor of the queens who have carried us through time, born us into existence, these ancestral women, these daughters of the dust, these lingering goddess spirits, we, sons and daughters, distant relatives, carrying legacies of culture and life and spirit and soul and accomplishment and glory, reduced to a legacy of resistance, to forces bent on our enslavement, a legacy of dissent. We call on you, our ancestors, to be present with us here in this time, in this space, and in our hearts to help understand who we are and whose we are. Call them out. Ashe. Ashe. Brother Hadari Davis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kat. Law and Disorder. Law and Disorder. That's what you're listening <laughs> to. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. And this week's resistance and residence artist is educator, entrepreneur, poet, and filmmaker, Hadari Davis. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.